welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host and resident infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. Hi, hi, hi. How you doing, everybody? This is episode 66. Let's get your kicks on episode 66. I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. We are chatting with the amazing Chemi Rashamahendran today, also known as the Misconception Coach on Instagram. Chemi is an infertility, trauma, and loss specialist who helps people understand, validate, and process their trauma and grief. She's here to unpack her approach to healing the wounds of infertility. We also hear about her wisdom when helping couples make difficult decisions, and she even shares how family and friends can help support someone going through infertility and loss. So stay tuned. Want to stay more up to date on the podcast and my own personal journey with infertility? Follow the pod on Instagram at me, myself, Millie for regular updates. If you're feeling extra generous today, screenshot the episode, tag us, and share on your IG stories. It all helps get the word out about the show and helps us bring more light and levity to fellow sufferers. Thanks for your support, guys. Chemi, I am so glad to finally be able to sit down and chit-chat with you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And likewise, I have been looking forward to this for a long time. So thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's start with a little bit about who you are, where you live, and what you do. Sure. I am in Vancouver, BC, which is on the west coast of Canada, for, for those that don't know. I am an infertility trauma and loss support specialist. So that's kind of a big, long title for just really helping people and families work through, understand, validate, and really just process infertility trauma that they've gone through and all the different kinds of losses. You know, when we say loss, a lot of times we we assume that means of a physical kind, of a pregnancy, that sort of thing. But really in this realm, in this world, it's losses of so many different things. And that's that's what I do every day. I, I sit with with women. I sit with, um, recently I spoke with a family's mom and dad. And so when, when it's family, it's really a, that, that joint support. And that's been amazing. And how did you find yourself in this little pocket of the infertility space? Well, for me, you know, my, I went to college years and years and years ago, and it was, um, for psychiatric nursing and communications. And I worked kind of within that realm of women's mental health at um, Planned Parenthood and different um, preconception, postconception community uh, support organizations. And going through my own losses and, and really walking that journey of secondary infertility, you know, I was kind of literally sitting in the hospital in the ER and, and I said, 
gosh, this is an experience that I think so many people go through and you're literally sent home to deal with the aftermath of what it, what just happened, you know, what did I go through? And I found that there was such a, a hole missing in that system of, you know, the hospitals being overrun and the support organizations that you have to put your name on a list if you want support. And it's really in Canada, I don't know about the States, but it's like a four to six week wait. And that is crazy. So it was understanding and seeing that we need real time support here, whether it's um, just a Facebook group for someone to log in and, and be able to connect with somebody you know, it's just that's where it really started was just on that in that grassroots sort of vibe of starting the Instagram page and then having some peer groups and, and always having someone there to vent with, to talk to and just to kind of connect with in those really dark, dark moments of grief. And and that's where, when I took my leap of faith of doing this full time and opening my practice and, and being able to do this every day now, which is such a privilege. And going back to what you just said, having to wait four to six weeks um, in Vancouver, are, is that four to six wait four to six weeks to see a, a doctor? It's you know the doctor part. We have a great medical system here, so the acute care is wonderful. You know, you you have the hospitals and you get the help. And then it's the emotional side of things where you're sent home and it's really just you and your partner now sitting there um, grieving and, and trying to process this um, huge life event. And so I think, you know, within our mental health programs that we offer, which are wonderful, um, yeah, it's that wait time of saying, okay, well, let's put your name on a list and someone will get back to you with therapy or counseling or some sort of um, recommendation or prescription to to start treatment. And that's that's really hard because within that space is really when when you see the symptoms come out and when you are processing things that are really affecting you. And you're talking, you're speaking mostly to the um, emotional, um, mental heaviness of infertility and loss. Yeah, the mental, you know, when because you know I use the word trauma every day on my page and and in my my pieces, and that's it's really sitting in that moment of somebody having their loss, whether it's you know going home from a clinic after a round of IVF that was not successful, or whether it's um, going home from a hospital having a pregnancy loss. It's when the, you know you don't feel validated in that moment. You start to then slowly wonder gosh, was it something that I did? Was was it something I didn't do? Should I have done more of that? Um, is it my fault? Maybe I'm not meant to, you know, with all the spiral of these questions that really stem from a place of trauma because that acute mental support, emotional support wasn't there in those moments. And it's, it's really, that's something that in this dialogue that we do is trying to have people more trauma-informed whether it's an you know, ultrasound tech that says something really detrimental, not meaning to, but does, whether it's a nurse or a doctor. And it's just those sort of acute people that can be and do a, a lot of good in just that moment of saying, it's okay, it's not your fault. What do you think our world gets wrong about infertility and loss? Gosh, that's such a good question. I think 
Yeah, we, I think it's really hard to conceptualize, you know, what people are going through. And especially in grief, as a culture, we have that want to take away the pain so instantly, right? We want to fix people that we love, which is such a, a beautiful attribute. But what we realize in, in this sort of space is that you can't take away the pain or the emotions. You can only just say to someone, hey, it's okay to feel that way and I'm here no matter what. And it's okay to feel all of these things at once and just to sit with them. But it takes a certain space and a certain type of of understanding to really be able to do that. And that's hard. And I think a lot of people rush through and sit and want to fix it and say, well, we all know those platitudes and those statements, right? That trigger and are so damaging of it's okay. Now, you know, you know, you can get pregnant, just stay hopeful. I know one day it will happen. Just this whole string of stuff that makes us feel really, really, um, really crappy. <laughs> really Absolutely. crappy in that moment. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent there, um, a different question. There are a lot of tough decisions that accompany people in the infertility space. What's your approach when people come to you and are faced with difficult decisions? Yeah. And, you know, in sessions, we really try to talk about that reality of how scary and how big these choices are. Cause I think innately, we, we try to pep talk ourselves. We try to kind of just get through it. I know I'm just going to man up. I'm just going to get it done. And then we go into kind of robot mode and we forget that, wow, what I'm processing and what I'm doing is huge. And it's okay to say, you know, going through IVF, yeah, it's a privilege. It's not everyone gets to even entertain that. But at the same time, it's also really scary and it's also really, really devastating when things don't go the way you hoped. And I'm filled with hope and I'm also still traumatized from my last cycle, you know, so it's a whole mixed bag. And we really talk about the normalcy of going into something like infertility treatments uh, with that bag because people always ask, well, how do I get more hopeful? How can I go into my next cycle feeling more positive. And we, we kind of dissect that and we say, well, what does positive even mean? You know, what is this hope? What does that mean? And, and just to normalize that being a hundred percent positive is that's a unicorn that doesn't exist, but going in knowing, yeah, you know what, I'm going to be terrified, but I know I have support. I'm going to be um, hopeful, but I'm also, I also know that that's kind of a cautious optimism. It's not going to be rainbows and puppy dogs, and that's okay. And this this is really a standard and um, a place that we we try to get to that feels more natural and more comfortable. I love that. I love that. So is that am I am I correct when I say that you have group sessions as well as individual sessions? We, I have done group sessions before, but it's um, mostly now it's family based. So it will be, um, you know, the the parents of 
the couple or the, the brother or sister or any, whoever wants to help support them. They're really asking, how can we do that better? And sometimes we do that separately and sometimes we do that together in family sessions. But And sometimes it's, you know, a couple and that's really amazing when, when we can have the whole family involved and really look at, um, you know, what, what are the boundaries to help support and, and what does that look like? How can we have... Uh, real support that's tangible because people always say well how can we help you and sometimes that's a hard question we don't know how do we need help Um, but it's really it's great when we can look at each other's strengths because not everyone in our family is going to be that person that you can call and and really feel like you can just share so that's okay we can say well maybe mom's not that person because she might just uh, be really good at being more practical bringing over dinner or driving me to appointments or, you know, whatever that is. So that really sets up a win-win scenario, right, of uh, within the family because that's how mom shows support and that's how we're going to feel it. So that's great to see when, when people can be set up for that. Yeah, that kind of dovetails into my next question here. Can you speak to um, how friends, family, and partners – can be more supportive of somebody going through infertility or loss? Any good tips for people who want to be helpful? I think, you know, we always see those do's and don'ts, right, Of on Instagram of the what to say, what not to say. And those are amazing because it, it you know, we're not here to shame and blame anybody. We're here to say we've all been there. We've all said the wrong thing. We've all put our foot in our mouth. And it's okay. It's all about learning. And and that's the one thing I remind families is that this is our first rodeo for all of us in this space. No one has done this before. We're just kind of, you know, seat of our pants. But at the same time, that gives us the opportunity to say, okay, how, how, you know, who can help? How can we help? And, and your question, that's such a great one, because it's really about let's not overthink this and let's not try to fix. Let's just say it's okay for everybody to feel what they're feeling. Um, It's okay if people feel grief about your journey. That's okay because it's not my, you know, it's not your job to change that. It's not your job to fix or heal anybody. All we can do is just have a safe space that feels non-judgmental and that feels um, unconditional in the sense that even if it's a year later and you're still talking about something, that's okay. Or if it's uh, if you can't show up for the family event, that's okay. So just give people the space they need when they need it, and and just tell them it's okay to be what you know how they're feeling. It's it's normal. It's healthy. That's really the main way to help support. What makes your blood boil about? this world of family building. I mean, you are the misconception coach. Tell us about the misconceptions that you have um, come across. Oh, gosh. I get triggered every day by some of these. (laughs) I want to hear it, Jenny. You have Um, to unleash the beast. Yeah. You know, my biggest trigger is people that prey on our community and they don't have their best interest at heart. And we know these, you know, these organizations. And there's a whole industry that preys on our community. And it's so toxic on so many levels because it's it's telling people, you know, there's a rhetoric of I 
you're broken, I can fix you, and I promise you miracles. Oh, like, let's stop. That's not necessary. You know, it's, and and you see it with people's language, which I don't, which I find triggering, is whenever the onus is put kind of back onto well, us as women, that we are somehow broken and that it's because we didn't do this X diet or this other thing or, or their pills or whatever it is that's crazy and concocted, that it somehow, it was our fault. Now they're going to save us and now our infertility will be cured. And there's a whole huge business that preys on people's um, really in desperate emotional times. So when I see that, I just want to kind of you know, that's really the the biggest one because it it's not anyone's fault, and and we have to remind ourselves too that it's it's not one person here. It's a million things that have to happen in a million ways with two people that you know are both involved. So, it, it, that reminder, I don't see a lot of that being told to men, which is also kind of another trigger. It's really put back onto us. Yeah. Can you speak more to that? I feel like sometimes I feel like partners, men, anybody who is accompanying the person going through this journey kind of gets left out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think, you know, that's one thing that we talk about in the couple sessions is a lot of men uh, partners will say, well, when she cries, it's really hard. I don't know what to do. And then, you know, obviously there's a whole kind of spiral effect to that. He's, he doesn't like it when I cry and he shuts down and then we're both kind of, we go into our corners. So I think, you know, it's really important to understand the different ways that men and women do process emotion, show emotion, and the different styles that people have, you know, a crier versus a a guy that goes quiet or someone that just needs space and looking at that and saying, it's okay. It's, it's okay to say, you you know, crying is hard for me because I can't fix it. So what do we do? We have to just learn how to just mirror each other and to say, you know, I'll give you space, but I haven't left you because walking away, feeling rejected is very different than saying I'm here, but I'm going to give you space come back whenever you need me. You know, that feels so much different. So I think it's really important to start including men. Um, and, and I always use the term family in my sessions because this is a family um, experience. It's not just one person and it's a whole family dynamic. And whenever I ask questions, it's always how does the family need support? How can, you know, as a unit? And I think it sets a really good precedent for people and extended family to see that always as a unit. Because sometimes, you know, female clients will say, I think I feel the weight of this on my shoulders that I can't give my husband a child. And that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because it's so, that's so far from the truth. So we kind of dissect that and, and really look at why that's not healthy, kind of a healthy sentiment. You said something so profound just now. I had to write it down. Um, in, in regards to the partner dialogue when somebody is crying, um, to say, I'm going to give you space, but I haven't left you. That is mm. so beautiful. It really is, isn't it? It's it's such, it feels so different to our heart because it's not really the space that 
scares us is that it's it's feeling like we're alone in that space and and for the person walking away too you know that that's hard so knowing okay we have boundaries sometimes we need space sometimes we don't but it's just respecting that and knowing that you i need to feel that unconditional support um, from you all the time and that's okay whether one uh, I, w- I had a couple a couple weeks ago and we really worked on that because he's not a touchy-feely guy and she is and so there was always this pivotal moment of this sort of back and forth when things get a bit heated of I just wish he would have just given me a hug right so it's we kind of worked on maybe meeting somewhere in the middle of someone just giving an arm rub or giving eye contact and saying, I'm here, you know, I'll be, I'll be in the other room. Just come and get me when you're ready. And that, that feels so much safer to our heart. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, it, it reminds me of like different people's love languages, you know, and like trying to use the person who's suffering or going through this intense traumatic moment, trying to use their love language a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I mean, I've read that book too, and I think it speaks so, so common sense wise to, we don't like to stereotype, you know, men don't do this and women do this, but it, I mean, we do have, women do need more, I, I find space to name emotions, sit in them, think about them, mull them over a bit, feel them again, <laughs> and then talk it out, right? And my, men are more like, okay, I'm I'm naming it. I'm, at, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm whatever it is. I'm moving on, I fixed it. And, and that's where we get lost, where women are like, whoa, whoa, no, we must, we, you know, we're not, we don't need it fixed. We just want to sit, we want to talk, we want to ask how are we feeling, what did you learn, you know, that whole connection within that space. And that's sometimes where we go each over each other's head because men want to um, fix it and then not really have this come up again. And when it does, they feel like, oh, did we not just talk about this a couple of weeks ago? You know, why are you still sad? And why are we still uh, talking about the same thing? And that's that's really um, something that we talk about in the sessions is it's okay for people to still be in the same spot and it's okay to to have someone, you know, feel what they're still feeling. And sometimes I find there's that um, almost comparison of he's way up here and I'm way down here. And it's hard to always be the sad guy or the emotional guy in the relationship. And so just looking at those dynamics is really important. Anything you wish you knew before going into this industry? I, I was surprised at how kind of just generically my sessions have turned into family sessions because I, when I when I started, it was obviously women's support, right? Women are only in our group. It, it was all female, basically online, and I'm I'm loving that we see more men's male voices in our communities now. It's it's such a important really important uh, voice to have. And I've, I've sent a lot of husbands and sessions over to these groups and they said, wow, you know, I just, just even just logging in and not having the pressure to engage or, or chat about stuff. Cause I think that sometimes is what scares 
the ma- the men off is, well, I don't really want to chat with people online. As you know, it's very different dynamic. So one of the husbands said, no, it's been amazing because I can just read the comments and read people's stories and just kind of lurk around and still feel that support. So that's, it's been, I think that was something that I, I didn't foresee. I, and it's been a really um, pleasant surprise to see that opening up for families, the parents and, and other extended family members. That's been lovely. I love to see how you are widening the conversation, you know, not just it's beyond the individual, you know, and I I just love hearing that, that you're mm-hmm. in, so inclusive of the whole family that surrounds, you know, the traumatic event that is happening. Yeah, because what I was finding is, you know, client after client after client, and this is worldwide, it's not, there's not really like a demographic or, or just a, an age or there, it was universally what I was hearing from people is the, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest emotional blocking blockage that we were working on is the pressure from family, the guilt from family, um, the having to set space and boundaries away from family because it was just too hard. So, yeah, it, it was a, it was just really generic that we started to branch into. Well, how can we bridge that? How can we, you know, bring people together and work on that aspect because it was affecting everybody. And it's really an important subject, and I'm really excited to keep diving into that. Any advice for anyone listening to this show? going through infertility and loss? You are not crazy. What you're feeling is not crazy. You have not lost your mind. What you're feeling is 100% normal and healthy because really it's those days where we sit there and we think, God, have I totally lost my mind? Have I lost all grips of reality? Am I being too emotional? Is it me? Is it me that's the one that is not coping? And it's that narrative that I want to just, you know, hold people tight and and really talk about every single day that, no, it's not. And the more we can normalize that, we all feel like that. We all feel like we're failing at coping with this because our expectation is so crazy and so um, up here when it and it shouldn't be. So I think just normalizing that we all we all lose hope every day. We all give up every day. We all say, you know, I I don't have it in me to do this anymore. But the next day, perhaps we've we've something came through us and maybe that's changed and maybe it hasn't. But it's okay to feel like that. Oh, I love that. I had to like close my eyes and let that really sink in. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, um, it's so beautiful. Thank you. Have I asked you everything that you feel is important? Do you feel like there's anything else that you want to add to this conversation of stress and anxiety related to infertility and loss? You know, I get asked so often about triggers because they are such a, a normal day-to-day occurrence. And it's really the triggers that make us feel like we've now taken step back, 10 steps back, right? We can be going going along really great, uh, working through all of these hard things, healing in a lot of ways that we didn't think we could. And then one small thing on Instagram will shoot us into this 
you know, utter despair of shame spiral, comparison, comparison, um, the story, right, of, of just making ourselves feel like maybe all of that good work that I did has gone to waste and I am right back at square one. And that's, that's really something that um, people feel all the time. And it's really those triggers that we have to look at and understand that it's not, you know, personal. It's never personal about even the person that's pregnant or the person we see on Instagram. It's not about them and us. It's really just about when, you know, when we're sitting inside our trauma and our pain and loss, we instinctually will compare pain to pain story or we we have that sort of wow you know they got the prize and look I'm still so far from this prize and it really it's really hard to have a a different perspective when you're sitting in that so just to remind people triggers are not personal it's okay and that really is more of a a kind of a wake-up call I, I just say you know it's just someone reminding you that you need to really have more compassion and refuel yourself. And I told um, one client today, you know, I want her just to rest, to rest, to compa- have so much compassion and, and grace and love for herself. You know, have a bath, wear your fuzzy slippers, feed yourself good food, eat all the cheese, watch all the bingey shows, just snuggle. You know, trauma needs really tactile reminders of what make our body feel good. So if you've had a bad trigger, process that, name it, and then say, this is how I'm going to refuel myself to remind myself that it's going to be okay and then I can feel better. So that's kind of my my homework I like to give my clients. Oh, I love it. Right. You have to. It's just the small things like a warm shower and a bath and new pajamas and new sheets. Like, is there anything better? It's just it really helps calm you down and make you feel comforted and safe. Yeah. Like get the cozy game on, you know? (laughs) Yes, it's true. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, trauma does need... I know in a practical sense of when we're when we're dealing with trauma, it's it really does need um, that physical reminder, you know, the the warmth, the touch, the tight hugs, because our brains will start to spiral in a million tabs in a million directions. And um, being that kind of mindful, pull yourself back is great. But then also, how do we remind our body that we're there, right? You can sit there staring at the wall, trying to meditate for an hour. That's not going to work for some people. So it's like, well, put on those nice new warm jammies and start a fire and just have um, some glass, a glass of wine maybe. Or just, you know, connect with someone, text your friend, snuggle with your, your partner. And that really starts to self-regulate your body and bring it back down to a place of feeling safer, especially in, at your home, right? In, in your home, that has to be a safe domain for you. How can people find you and connect with you, Chemi, and p- possibly, you know, um, you know, ask, you know, use your services? So yeah, uh, misconception.com, um, info at misconceptioncoach.com obviously on Instagram at Misconception Coach. And um, I love uh, I love when people send me messages. I love emails even better because they don't get lost and I can set up um, consults. So I do consults, 30-minute uh, free consults to people before they book because it's really just a nice space for us to get to know each other, to chat about how you're feeling and what support looks like to you. And I prefer 
that voice to voice versus DMs and all of that stuff. So I have a booking system. People can just go on my website, find a time that's and a date that works for them. And, and then we meet and we chat. And that's really how we kind of get to know each other. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Chemi, and sharing your wisdom and your time with us. I have thoroughly enjoyed um, our chit chat. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I love what you're doing. I love your podcast and your page. It's it's such a perfect mix of your personality and, and humor and life. So keep doing it. It's wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. We'll be in touch. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. Next week.